What had happened was a killer took away nine innocent lives, but did not take away Dayton's spirit. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson. I had planned to present another episode this week, but the events of this weekend changed all that, as I'm sure you're aware. I have been looking for the words to express the sorrow Dayton is feeling right now, but the fact is there are no words strong enough. A gunman opened fire in the Oregon District just after 1 a.m. Sunday, August 4th. His actions caused so much pain, but they were not strong enough to wipe out the love in this community. It's been a hard few days for Dayton, a community rocked by 15 tornadoes over Memorial Day. And that, of course, happened just days after the Klan came to town. As with those incidents, though, Dayton is showing the strength in the wake of this assault on humanity. Because we live in the Oregon District, my husband Anthony and I were among the first journalists on the scene of the mass shooting. We heard the shots from our house. The horror was clear from the moment we reached 5th Street, a few blocks away from our home. For this episode of the What Had Happened Was podcast, I'm joined by WHIO's Molly Kowick and Monica Castro, who, like us, were there Sunday to find out as much as we can in service of the community. As you will find out in this episode, though, this was not the first time that Molly and Monica have covered a mass shooting, and they're still very young in their careers. The What Had Happened Was podcast is a project of Dayton.com, sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. Now here's my chat with Molly and Monica. I hate that you guys are in here for this reason. How did you find out this was going on? I work Saturday night, so I literally had just gone home at midnight from work, and I probably set myself to sleep at like 1.30, 1.40. Something woke me up. It was really weird, and I keep saying this. I know it kind of sounds unbelievable, but something woke me up because I woke up in a panic. It was almost like, what am I doing? What's going on? And so I looked at my watch. I wear a Fitbit watch, and I noticed that I had a message from Quincy, which is our one of our managers, and it said active shooter. And so I looked at it, and I was like, no, like this, I might be dreaming. So I walked over to my phone in the kitchen and read the full text message. And I immediately got goosebumps. I was just like, this can't be happening here in Dayton, Ohio. It didn't seem real to me. And so I called Quincy because I was just like, hey, has anybody got in touch with you? What's going on? Like, do I need to go in? I've only had 20, 30 minutes of sleep. And she was just like, just get going. I didn't even have time to put on contacts. Like I just put on the glasses ran out of my house. I was hoping I was hoping I wouldn't get stopped by cops because I was kind of driving fast because I just didn't know what was going on. So when I got into the newsroom, obviously it's about almost two o'clock in the morning. Hardly anybody's there. And so we're all trying to like piece together what's going on. And I mean, the message at that moment was like, just get out the door. So I took my personal vehicle out there. When I got there, it was just cops everywhere, law enforcement everywhere, ambulances. There was just People, I think what I just remember vividly was when I was just walking to find my camera guy, I just noticed a couple of people lingering around and they all looked so distraught. Like they were just sitting on the ground, hands to their faces, looking for lack of a better word, like a zombie. They just looked stunned. I remember thinking like, oh man, this is serious. I mean, when you see that many police officers out there, it, it, it was overwhelming. I don't know how to describe that. It was like a war zone. 
the neighborhood was roped off and I've covered cops before I became a lifestyle reporter. So I've been to a lot of scenes and I've never seen that many police officers and emergency crews out and no people though. No, no revelers, no Oregon district noises and craziness. So that was really spooky. Molly, how'd you get involved? Because you weren't supposed to work, were you? Oh, no. So I'm off on Sundays. Um, I'm off on Saturdays right now, too. I am a very, very sound sleeper. So I slept through the text message that Monica got. But for whatever reason, phone calls always wake me up. For me, I guess it just feels more urgent. I got a call from one of our managers who actually is, is a, has been a friend for a few years. We both worked together in Wisconsin and then moved here right around the same time, moved to Dayton right around the same time. Um, and so him calling me, it was 3.39 in the morning. I instantly thought that something was terribly wrong with him or with his family. Um, and so I I was a little panicked. Um, and then he just said something, you know, mass shooting happened in the Oregon district. Um, can you come in? And so I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get ready and I'll come in. So uh, that was, you know, 3.39 that he called. Um, I threw some stuff in a bag, uh, got dressed, um, and then I was about to walk out the door, and then I realized I don't live that far from here, and I don't know um, if there is still a gunman on the loose right now. So I called back to the station, confirmed that there was not any kind of danger to me, and then walked outside, and I was on my way into work going to come into the station and they called me and said no just go right to the scene so i went out to the scene met up with a photographer there and didn't really have much time to to get my bearings or anything like that um i got a text message and they said we're going to take you live soon be ready then we just proceeded with with live coverage kind of describing where we were and what we were seeing and and feeling and, and things like that and what were you feeling how is it to cover a story like this we're reporters. We're trained to deal with difficult topics. We deal with difficult topics a lot. But because I think Monica and I and you were on scene so early, we were covering something as it was happening. One thing that really struck me is the, there was just a small group of people, maybe 10, 20 people or so, um, behind Ned Peppers in that area. And I walked up to them and I said, how's everyone doing? I'm glad you're safe. And they just looked at me and they said, not good. We don't know where our loved one is. Whoever they were looking for was missing. They hadn't heard from that person. You could hear the fear in their voices and, and how concerned they are. And as a journalist, you you always want to try to talk to people um, and, and see what they're thinking and, and feeling so that you can help tell their story to a larger audience so that people can understand what is happening and what people are going through. But also as a journalist, I think sometimes you need to be a human. And in that moment, that was the time when I just said to myself, absolutely not. Am I going to ask this poor woman for an interview? It would be inappropriate and irresponsible. I was just very, very taken aback by just the the fear and the panic and the, the raw emotion that she was dealing with. And then I met another gentleman. He was there. He said that he was five to 10 feet away from the shooter. He said that there was actually a cop standing over him that shot down gunmen. The way that he describes the scene and, and everything that was happening, it it's eerie because it matches up exactly with how police officers have described it. It matches up with the video. And he just describes seeing bodies drop all around him um, and, and knowing that they were dead. I'm joined right now by Robert Woodruff. And Robert, you saw all of this happen. Describe that to me. Terrifying. Like, God just came out and started trying to kill everybody down here. So you were just in the Oregon District, which you say is not a place you come to very often. This happened right around 1 a.m.? You were outside. Walk me through what happened step by step. Uh, I just parked down behind Omega Records, and I started walking towards uh, 
I guess, east on 5th. And by the time I got to the middle of the Oregon, just gunshots, just loud gunshots just everywhere. Just couldn't hear nothing but that. Everybody's just screaming and running, just trying to get away. How close were you to the shooter? Within five to 10 feet. He was like, I was on one side of the car, and he was on the other side of the car, shooting at everybody. Like when we ran to the front of the car, he was shooting at us that way. We ran to the back of the car, he started shooting at us there until the officer came and started shooting it out with the guy. The officer saved all of us. What was it like to be feet from him? That's the most scariest feeling I ever had in my life. Like, I've never been that scared before. Can you describe for us what he looked like? I mean, you really couldn't see. He had a mask on and he had his, his hood pulled up and he had like some big earphones on. So you really couldn't, you couldn't see him. You just seen a, a dark figure. Yeah, yeah. And so you ran as fast as you could. Exactly, immediately. As soon as the gunshot started, I started running. In the direction I was running, some guy got shot in the head and he fell right in front of me. So I tried to run the other way. And when I did that, my phone and my keys flew out of my pocket and flew under somebody's car. And like I said, I ran to the other way. Then the bullets, people start dropping that way. So I turned and started crawling, trying to go the other way. And, and, but then people start falling that way. So I, I, I thought I was about to die to the officer. He was like standing over the top of me. Like he started shooting at the guy. So he, he saved everybody that was out here. And where exactly was that? Right here in front of uh, Ned Peppers. Goodness. Well, we, you know, we are so glad that you are safe um, and, and that you were able to get away. Obviously, it's an extremely tragic night for, for so many people. Ran into some folks who were on Blind Bob's patio, who I know and I've known for years because I cover restaurants and I live in the neighborhood and we know each other. And the way they describe the terror of having to duck. And when you look at the video, you know that that's our, my friend who had to duck. Wow. sitting here at the patio at Bob's when the shooter came right here and started shooting off bullets, killed a guy right here, came around and killed another guy right here, and they just started shooting bullets everywhere, everywhere. He shot a girl back and forth here for a little bit. He shot a girl all the way down by Lily's Bistro. Um, eventually, like, everybody to ground, we, like, clamored to get inside. We clamored to get inside of the building. Uh, Tyler. She was stampeded. Yes, she was. She was laying right here, and everybody that went out the door stepped over her, fell on her, rolled over her. Well, I know she's. It's a miracle she wasn't injured. It doesn't matter. She makes a matter. Everybody got like, inside. How did she get out of that without being injured? Yeah, she's a little too. Yeah. So we got inside, and there was blood everywhere inside of Bob's <laughs> because one of the people who was shot was had the, come inside. Shot inside. One yeah. who got shot in the leg. Yeah, she worked here. Yeah, and yeah. they put a tourniquet on her leg and. A, Right. And, he, you know, EMS, cops, they eventually showed up. But I saw the cops trying to give CPR to the guy right here where the barbecue stand was. They couldn't save his life. He died. Hey, thanks, Don. I'm sorry you have to see that. So I went out the door. 
And then another guy showed up who had gotten shot. So they, they cut his clothes off to find the bullet wound, and it was in his, like, backside somewhere. But he was, he was okay. He was okay. But I did see two dead bodies when I left, and that was, I, I was, I was horrified, because I didn't even know it happened, I didn't know. How do you think Dayton's gonna get through this? What? How Dayton? How are we gonna get through this? <sighs> I guess we have to forgive. After, I think we have to forgive. We don't, right now we don't know what was going on in the mind of this guy. Gonna have to forgive and, and that's it i'm sorry okay thanks Dad. i appreciate it thank you talking to the manager yesterday a good friend of mine named andy he described that whole having to go to a business where he works and seeing a video shot at his place of work a place that he helped build and knowing that that guy was right there and could have taken out not only his employees, but his customers, people he's grown to love. It's just um, terrible. And I think that people don't realize how terrible a situation is like that. And I don't think they should have to, right. frankly. Talk a little bit about how we found out what was actually going on. Because a lot of people don't understand how we get the news. I know we just kept calling dispatch. Uh, we just, I think that was the one of the big things. I know we tried to talk to police officers on the scene. But at the time, everything was just ongoing. So we didn't really i think gosh time seems like a blur from that day but i just remember going up to some of the investigators like hey are we gonna have an update are we gonna you know know some more facts because i think it had been about two hours since it all took place that we were still kind of unsure we had been getting reports of you know there could be xyz people but we just didn't know when I talked to investigators, they, they were like, okay, we're going to talk to you here in a couple of minutes. Well, a couple of minutes turned into probably 20, 30 minutes. But then that's when they kind of broke down. They had that press conference with the assistant police chief, and then I believe fire was out there. And so they kind of broke down everything, how many people, how many injuries, how many medics were out there, how many, you know, just all of those things. And I think for all of us out there, that's when it just started to hit like okay this this is real and it was a problem when i saw the police officers with the rifles and i looked down the street and i saw a dead body on the street and that was just like you know you see dead bodies but you know from looking at that the way it was roped off there were more i remember calling one of my police sources who told me that there were 10 people who were dead and that was just a crushing feeling because i live in that neighborhood as you know anything surprised you about this whole thing at all i think what surprises me still is it happened here in Dayton, Ohio, and I think it's really sad when you hear and talk to people and they talk about, we never really expected it to happen here, but given the current state of how things are going in the world, it was a matter of when. Right. And I think I get goosebumps. I just got goosebumps just thinking about how nowadays, I guess, people have that mentality. We Like, we aren't safe. You can't be at a church. You can't be, sorry, I get a little emotional thinking about that, but like, People are scared to be in places that they've always felt normal and safe in. And now there's just that that thing in the back of their head like, well, am I really safe here? I think from talking to people, they're still just so surprised that it happened here. But at the same time, they're just 
thinking to themselves it was a matter of when. Had you guys hung out in the Oregon District a lot? Yeah, and we both had the same days off, so uh, Sunday, Monday. So I know there's been a couple of Sundays where her and I will walk from her place all the way to the Oregon District for food. Yeah. And I never question safety there. And I know when I've been out, even on a Friday or Saturday, I mean, you do notice police presence out there. So it wasn't a question of, like, I don't feel safe here. Really, that's one of the things, too, that I'm, I don't want to say I'm proud of because I'm not proud that somebody died, but I am proud of our police force that they were able to, now you're getting me emotional and I'm not going to do it, that they were able to eliminate the danger because they do have a presence down there. But like you said, it's not enough. And that's sad. And I mean, I think we were gullible into thinking it was when obviously the reality is something different. And you have the same situation. You're from Texas, right? Yes. Where are you from? I'm from Houston, Texas, so a little further away. But I've actually covered mass shootings before. I covered one in Kansas. Granted, that was a little uh, on a smaller scale. But Mm -hmm. then I actually covered the Santa Fe High School shooting, which was almost, well, a little more than a year ago. But uh, I think what really gets me covering these things is there's always that one moment it becomes real. And I know at least for like the Santa Fe situation, when they put out those wooden crosses and then those students started showing up and I remember like hearing a woman hysterically cry, like that was my moment. Like that was the moment where I was just like, whoa. Like I know we're journalists and we're supposed to be brave, like Molly said, you know, we're used to kind of dealing with these things, but you kind of take a step back and you're just like, I want to hug you too. Like I, I want to comfort you, but I know that there's no way I can because like I'm just the stranger. I'm just the journalist that wants to cover the story. But that's not always the case. I mean, I know like we were out there. I've talked to Kayla, another reporter, and she was actually texting me that morning saying like because she was at the convention center and she was talking about how she was starting to hear those families cry, that panic in their voice. And I kept telling her, I was just like, you just got to be strong. We got to be strong because we have to be strong for them. Right. And that's the thing about it, too. People have been asking how you holding up. And, you know, I have cried a lot because not only is it I've been in Dayton for 20 years. I live in that neighborhood. I know those people. So I have cried and I have hugged a number of people because to me, it's, it's my living room. He came into our living room and shot a bunch of people who I may have partied with before. Not directly partied with them, but I've been in the same area having a good time with my friends as they were having a good time with their friends, celebrating life. And that was a wonderful day. That Saturday was a beautiful day. It was one of those days Dayton has been needing for a long time. We've, of course, had the tornadoes. And we had the KKK rally. Other sorts of uh, controversial issues going on in town. So I think that was a day that Dayton needed. And it felt like it was going to be a great day. Right. And it turned out to be so horrible beyond anything. And we do cover things like this, but you don't expect it to hit home so closely. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to explain that to people. One thing that has been a little bit difficult is on my way to the scene, I was just thinking, and I'm sure you were probably considering this as well. When I was working in Wisconsin, I covered a mass shooting there as well. And I just kept thinking, I've been a reporter for five years. I'm 27 years old. This should not be the second mass shooting that no. I'm covering. And that is something that, that's very difficult because it just seems like they're, they're just they're happening so often. I don't want this to become the normal. So when you went into journalism, you guys are both way younger than me. <laughs> you can't tell, right? But <laughs> did you expect to be covering this much 
Carnage, you didn't work in huge cities. You worked in smaller markets. Yeah. Yeah, I worked in, in rural Wisconsin. Going into this, I just really wanted to be able to tell people's stories. And I knew that I was going to be covering a lot of things like house fires and, and crime and things like that. But what I really was after was being able to share people's stories. And that's still, that, that was my passion before I became a reporter. And, and it still is today. And that's something I hope to be able to do throughout our coverage of this shooting is just tell the stories of the people who survived and the people who now are having to deal with the unthinkable pain of moving on without their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, their friend, anyone. I think a lot of times when death isn't super close to you, it can not always feel as significant or, or as final. But there's just always something in the back of my mind that thinks that, oh, no, this is they're in bad shape, but they're going to come back to it. And then I have to snap back to reality for a second and realize that, no, these are nine happy people, nine people who had lives and families who just will never get to breathe another breath again. And it's not just them. It's like these people who were there and the people who those people touch. I talked to a young woman who's 21 years old. She's been able to go to a bar legally you know, and drink for one year. Yeah. She doesn't even go out that much. She's at Net Peppers with her friends from high school having a good night. And this happens. She has to run for her life. She says, I don't want to go to a bar again. You take something from people that they'll never get back. That sort of loss of innocence and self and safety that. How'd you get out of Net Peppers? Um, so my friends and I, we were just standing in the middle there. Um, and, you know, people were coming through, like pushing people down. We didn't know what was going on until we heard someone say um, gun, real gun. And then I think it sunk in for us all. I don't know where my friends were as I was getting out. I le- lost all sense of reality and everything but I just remember we were crawling um I was like diving over people because everyone was trampling each other I had to like dive onto like concrete on the patio just to get out of there I lost my shoe during it at some point I could see a bunch of other people did too because as soon as I got outside there were shoes everywhere people were just running everywhere it was crazy it was like a mad dash to get out of there yeah I mean no one knew where to go. They didn't know where the person was. Like, we didn't know where it was coming from, but you could hear it, like, clear as day. Like, everyone knew, like, we had to go somewhere, but it was crazy. And at this point, you thought that he was still in the bar? Yeah, we didn't We didn't know um, if he was in the bar, where he was at the bar. Like, we, we knew nothing. We, we really just heard people yelling, gun, and then as soon as we heard and, like, felt that those shots go off, like, it was so loud, like, we just knew we had to get out of there I mean even today when I was at the salon my hairstylist was just like I went to uh, Ned Peppers all the time and she actually said that her friends they were supposed to go that night and that I guess whomever was taking them or driving them got into a fender bender and so they weren't able to go I literally told her, I was like, do you feel blessed? How do you feel knowing that something, you know, in the universe happened to you that created a situation where you didn't go? I've heard that from a lot of people who told me I was supposed to be there or I was just down the road or I left 30, 40 minutes before it actually happened. I got goosebumps again. But it's just you hear those stories of those close calls. People are all just saying, wow, I, I felt lucky. And they say that, but then they also feel very, very sad that it's just like, they're lucky, but nine others aren't. 
Yeah, and it's just like one of those things of the universe. Like we know people who hang out at Ned Peppers who mm -hmm. I personally was freaking out about, and I sent so many text messages, not only to our neighbors, but people I know who were supposed to be there. Like one of our reporters, Corey, hangs out at Ned Peppers with his group of friends, and our friend Otis, who works here too, hangs out at Ned Peppers all the time. And they would have been there if one person had showed up when he was supposed to. That's the only thing. Even if we're not partying in the district, we have a drive through the neighborhood before we go home. And we got home literally as the bullets rang out. Like we heard them as we're pulling into our alley to get to our, our garage. It could have been any of us, really. It's just a matter of the flip of the switch, the you know, chance of the universe. So that's creepy. I don't know where the city of Dayton is going to put that, but we'll find out, I guess, right? Breaking in for a moment to let you know that you're listening to the What Happened Was podcast. And I'm Amelia Robinson. The Dayton Foundation has established the Dayton, Oregon District Tragedy Fund. The fund will allow individuals to make charitable contributions to help the families directly affected by this terrible tragedy. There's a link to that fund in the there's a link to the fund in the episode description. While you were there, please consider donating to the Dayton Foundation's fund for those who were impacted by the Memorial Day tornado. That fund is the Greater Dayton Disaster Relief Fund. Now back to my talk with Molly and Monica. What have you guys found out about the city since this all happened that you probably didn't know before? Because you guys are relatively newcomers. That's a good question. Uh, oh, thank you. I went to journalism <laughs> school. <laughs> my first day on air here was the water crisis. And then just a few months after that, covering the KKK rally. And then a few days after that, the Memorial Day tornadoes and, and now this shooting. I have been surprised at how a city as culturally diverse as this one in all of those times has really been able to come together as one. I mean, I think that's been a really beautiful thing to see just how supportive people are, are and they drop some of the trivial differences that may separate them and come together for what really matters. I'd have to echo what she said. I think that's why when all of this happened, I was shocked because like this place just seems so resilient and so friendly. These couple of months have been really difficult for Daytonians and people that live just kind of nearby. Um, but it's kind of amazing to see how everyone kind of step up and put aside those differences and try to help each other out. I mean, with the tornadoes, you had people just going back and forth trying to help each other out and saw you at the vigil on Sunday and it was just amazing to see on that stage at Levitt Pavilion, just, I mean, different diverse groups of people speaking. And you didn't hear just bad things. Everybody was just wanting to come together and cry and talk to each other or pray together. And so that was really beautiful to see. I think that was one of those more impactful moments of that day that I had, you know, I guess witnessed was just seeing people hugging. And I know one of the images that sticks out in my mind, DeAndre was one of the breaking news photographers that night. Actually, he was the first on scene yeah. um, because he gets in at midnight. And so I want to give kudos to him because he had never covered something like that before. He was a trooper because he didn't know what to expect or how things ran when it was breaking news. But he was showing me different clips of video as we were sending it into the newsroom. And there was one shot that just uh, it was very compelling and, and moving and powerful. And it was this African-American guy hugging an officer. And I know, like, there's a lot of divisiveness in this in our society. But seeing that moment, that situation, that shooting, 
everybody needed someone to hug. It was beautiful, for lack of a better word, to see those differences, those different peoples. While at times, like, we might be at clash with one another, people just hugging each other. And I told him, I even told him that. I was like, that was, you know, a beautiful shot that you, that you were able to capture of just people coming together after a tragedy. Yeah, and the strangest thing happened, too. Like I said, we ran from her house, right? Had my camera. I was dressed ridiculously. Because when I say we had a Saturday, we had a Saturday. Right. Like, um, <laughs> I went to a fundraiser. I had fake tattoos all over my face, which I totally forgot I had on my face in the heat of the moment. I had, like, this really short dress on, <laughs> like a Jamaican dress. and Because it's took, Saturday. It's yeah. Saturday. And we, were, I went to a, we went to one party after another. We went to a fundraiser. Before that, we had gone to another fundraiser down at Levitt from a group of mandating sister cities. And then we went to a friend's party. So you weren't expecting all this. And then it happens that you spring into action, you go. And I had my camera and I was, it was a yellow tape. And I kind of had the camera and I was taking a picture, not even knowing what I was taking a picture of. A cop comes up and yells at me and says, don't cross my yellow tape. And you know, I've never crossed anybody's yellow tape in my whole career. And I told him, hey, I'm doing my job, blah, blah, blah. He calmed down. He gave me a hug. <laughs> Which yeah. is which is something I'll never forget. Because he needed a hug too. He needed a hug too. Yeah, yeah and that was like um, you guys have an advantage or a disadvantage that you've been in this situation before. People in these parts never have. We never thought we needed to be going back to that gullibility. I guess it would be, but they are people too, and that um, shine through during this situation. Yeah. You asked what surprised us. And another thing that has surprised me time and time again is while living here in this short amount of time is is how quickly first responders take care of business and how well-trained they are. 24 seconds is an unthinkable amount of time to be able to handle a situation the way the police officers did. I've tried to put myself in their shoes for a second, and, and obviously they have training that helps them deal with it better than, than I could. In 24 seconds time, I just think I would have paused. I would have said, what's going on here? Right. Is this really what I'm going to do? Knowing that there's no going back from the decisions that they made. I just, I'm so impressed with the level of training um, that the first responders in this area um, have to be able to handle that situation in the way they did. Because if they had, it would have been a bloodbath in that bar. There's no doubt about it. If anybody's ever been in that bar, it's like a a box <laughs> and the fact that so many people were hurt trying to get out and the fact that you know these shoes were in the back of the the bar because people had to basically run out of their shoes and jump over fences and get out any kind of way they could not knowing if the gunman was inside the bar or not it's just very telling of how horrible it would have been if he would have got in that bar so very much I don't know how much you can say kudos kudos doesn't say it enough right yeah I think the only thing I want to say and I know this is going to sound super cheesy, but I'm a, I'm a cheesy person. I'm a, I'm a loving, caring person. One thing that I've noticed yesterday, I was at another vigil in, in Bellbrook. I think the message that I keep hearing, just with everything that's going on, I, I'm not wanting to get political by any means, but I think we just all need to love each other and hug each other. I know that sounds cheesy, but I no, think it that's, it. No. that's what people need right now. Last night, I mean, I saw people after, you know, left and right, hugging each other, crying on each other. We just need to learn in this day and age to love each other and to notice those signs if someone maybe isn't all right. Because, I mean, these things, maybe they can be prevented. We don't know. But I, I just think as a society, we need to learn to love each other no matter what our differences are, no matter what our backgrounds are. When moments like this happen, yeah, we see it. We see people hugging. But 
in a month when this is, I guess, old, we still need to love each other the same way. I'm cheesy, but... Well, cheese is delicious, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. As cheesy as it may sound, we all need to keep spreading that love. If you need help, get it. Please don't hesitate. Dayton is an incredibly strong community, and sadly, we have had to prove it. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced, edited, and written in the WHAL radio studios. The show's artwork is by Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. I'm going to leave you now with some words about the Orga District from Andy Rowe from Blind Bobs. Are you worried that people won't come down to the Oregon District or that it's going to change down here? I don't want people to let the shooting define what the Oregon District is, and I don't think they will. Uh, we've been through a lot of unavoidable disasters, you know, going back to the Dayton Flood in 1913 and uh, other avoidable disasters uh, which I think this one could have been Uh, we're known for culture and history going back to the 19th century and we're going to keep building on that no matter what people